Well, good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jernigan. I get the great privilege to be the pastor here. Uh, listen, we're all my righteous and holy people that know that the Bible tells the church to do things decently and in order that celebrate Thanksgiving fully and then celebrate Christmas for my people. Thank you. Yeah. I just had that Bible verse come to my mind, Erica, so I'll just throw that back at you. <clears throat> Decently and in order is how we do it at Discover Church. Uh, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, man, I want to tell you a quick story about my wedding day. How many of you who, who are married or who have been married, how many of you remember your wedding day? Okay. Yeah, a lot of us. How many of you, uh, maybe you're not married, but, 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 but have thought about your wedding day at some point? Maybe some of us, yeah. Well, here's the deal. I remember my wedding day so vividly. I remember standing in the front. I was, my wife and I had just turned 21. Uh, we were kids. We barely knew how to tie our own shoes, but here we are getting married. Let's go, baby. Let's do this thing. And uh, man, I'll never forget. I'm standing up front. I got my groomsmen you know, behind me back here and the bridesmaids are over there. The preacher man's up here. And, uh, and then the, the music comes on and all the people stand up and, and turn and look towards the back. And, and Jessica comes out and the door opens. And, I, and man, we were old school, so we, I didn't see her until this moment. And I just like lost it. I was like, that's my girl right there. My, my baby girl. My girl. Come on, you look so good. So pretty. I can't help it. Right, like the light was just like illuminating off of her dress. Her hair was just perfect. Her skin glistened. She had a like a billion watt smile as she came coming down the aisle. And her father-in-law was like, mm. I was like, listen, man, it, he's I think the jury's still out with him and me. We'll see. Um, uh, but anyway, so I, I just remember that, that moment. And for me, when I think about my wedding, that's the moment that I think of. The moment that we had spent so much time and anticipation and, and, and planning and, and maybe had gotten into a few arguments. Uh, maybe we were the only ones that argued about wedding details. Um, I learned some things about her family. She learned some things about my family that at one point we came together. I was like, do we still want to do this? Uh, you know, your family crazy. Your family no, your family crazy. Uh, and, and, and we decided to do this. And it was the culmination of, of weeks and months of, of planning and preparation and money being spent. And I don't know what it's like to be a bride, but I know what it's like to be a groom. And I know all of the emotions that I felt in that moment. And that's why when I go to weddings, when, when the music comes on and the bride starts to make her way into the room, I don't turn around and look at the bride. I like to watch the groom. And I like to see the look on his face when he sees his bride coming down the aisle. A moment that he and she have hoped and prayed and planned and prepared for, for weeks and months. And can I tell you, if you've ever been to a wedding, then you have been given a glimpse, even if just a little bit, of what God has in store for his children, for those who by faith have trusted in Christ, what God has in store for us when we get to heaven. 
Now, we are in the, the last week of a six-part series we've called You Asked For. It. And in this series, we have been answering questions that you have been asking. And this week, we're going to ask and answer, what is heaven like? Now, we talked about part one last week. If you missed last week, I ain't got time to go there. Um, you'll just have to go, go listen to it. But this week, we're going to be talking about part two. Now, before I dive into it, I'll give you a little bit of heads up where we're going next week. Next week, we're starting a brand new series. We're going to be talking about something that every single person on the planet uh, has dealt with at some point or another. Most people know that this is a thing that they should work through, but most people don't know what to do with it. Most people don't know how to handle it. And so next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series of what to do with the skeletons in your closet. All right. Now, can, can we just be honest? How many of you have, would say, you know what, I got, I've done or said some things that I'm maybe not proud of. I, I, I will raise, you know, and so, so listen, we're, we are not uncommon in this. Everybody has dealt with or struggled with this at some point. Here's what I know. I know that if we don't learn how to deal with that shame, then what happens is, is we will forever live a slave to that shame. But the Bible says that whom the Son sets free, you shall be free indeed. And God wants us to know how to live and walk in freedom, not in bondage to that thing. The thing happened, it's done, it's over with. It doesn't have to continue to define you. And so we're going to open the closet next week and we're going to look at some of these skeletons and learn how they got here. And we're going to learn over the course of this series, how do we get to the point where we can live free of the, 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 the 800 pound gorilla of shame from the thing that we did. That's where we're going next week. I'd love to invite you to come back. Now, this week we're going to jump back into our discussion on heaven. Um, and what I want to do is I want to pick up kind of where we left off. Last week we left off kind of talking about this story arc from Genesis all the way to Revelation of what God has been doing um, and, and giving us a glimpse in what we called last week uh, present heaven because we learned two things last week. We learned that number one, heaven, that what we think of when we think of heaven is a very real literal place where God dwells. But we also learned last week, and this is something that kind of blew a lot of our minds, um, that heaven is temporary. That God actually has a, a, a place that we call heaven. We called it current heaven, present heaven last week, but God has another place that is our forever place um, that he calls a new heaven and a new earth. And, and theologians call that eternity. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what are we going to experience if we are alive in Christ, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to give you a glimpse into what God has prepared for us uh, in eternity if we belong to him. I just want to give you a little bit of heads up. Um, Y'all pray for me as I'm preaching. Because here's the deal. This is one of those messages. I, every week I come up here, I feel a little incapable and a little ill-equipped to actually be able to do justice to God's word. But this week, more so than almost any other week that I've ever preached, I, I'm, I'm preparing and I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, God, how am I supposed to help people understand something that human language does not have the words to understand? And God's response to me was, good luck. So y'all pray for me because, listen, God has been blowing my mind as I've been studying, preparing for this. And I hope that, that to, to put the words together in the right way that the, that the Spirit of God would, would open the eyes of your understanding. And, and I really believe that even in my best effort, it, it's going to be a, a, a terrible representation of the incredible thing that God has in store for us. We're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 21. If you're with me, Revelation chapter 21, open your Bibles, turn your, your Bibles on, whatever. If not, we got the verses on the screen to help you out. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. If you're with me, say heaven. 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 Here we go. It says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, a little bit of context. Remember who's writing this? We talked about this last week. A dude named John. God has given John um, a glimpse and to see what's going to happen. And John writes and says, Now I see a new heaven and a new earth for the former earth, the first earth and the first heaven had passed away. So what he's talking about is he's talking about the earth that we live on right now. right? Everything that you and I see and know and experience, that is the, the current earth. And everything that we talked about last week about about the current heaven, all of that's going to go away. And once it's gone away, then what's going to happen is God is going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, it's significant that you and I have a proper understanding of what this word new means, because if we don't understand what this word new means, then, then we're going we're gonna to have a, a really hard time wrapping our minds around the breadcrumbs that God has left us to understand what excuse me, life on the new heaven and a new earth is going to be like when we get there. I think oftentimes when we think of new, we think of unfamiliar. I think oftentimes when we think of new, we think of something that we've never seen before. But that's not what this word means. The Greek word new is the Greek word kinos. And literally translated, it means a new and better condition. Now, to help you understand what, what, what this means, I want you to think about uh, a new car. How many of you have ever gotten a new car, either, either brand spanking new off the lot or it was new to you, um, but you at some point in your life, you got a new ride. You got a new whip and you were rolling around, you know, with the windows turned down and the music turned up and the bass bump. That was me in college, all right? Uh, that, was, that was me in college. And I went back and forth between uh, hip hop and rap and country music because that's just how I roll. Um, and so... So, so that's just what I did. But right, but so I want you to think about this for a second. When you got that new car, that new car that was new to you, I want you to, to think about like you didn't look at that new car and go, oh my goodness, what is that? I've never seen anything like this before. This is totally new and foreign. What are those round things at the bottom that are black? You know, right? Like you didn't get into the car and like, Ooh, what is this thing? It moves like this, and then it closes, and then it opens, and then it closes, and I get in, right? You didn't do that. Why? Because it was familiar to you. Just because it was new to you did not mean that it was unfamiliar. And so when, when God paints this idea or this picture of a new heaven and a new earth, what he wants us to understand is that it's, it's going to be new and better version of the one that we currently know. Okay, so notice it says that, that he, John could have used any word that he wanted, but he didn't say, you know, a new and then insert a word that we don't know. No, he said a new heaven because we have an understanding of the stars and the cosmos and the galaxies, and there's a lot more up there than, than, than what we can really fathom. And we have a familiarity with what earth is. And so he says, listen, I saw a new and improved and better version of the old heaven and the old earth. And so there's familiarity. There's some continuity and some lines that we can connect between the old earth, the one that we're currently living in, and the new earth that God is going to lead us into someday. Now I want you to see a little bit of description of what, what John continues to say. Verse 2 says this, Then I, John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem. All right, this is the, this is the, 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 the capital city of the new earth. Go do some re research on it. It is huge. It is, it is a big square block that's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles long. And on the outer wall, there are 12 gates total. Okay? 
All right, and notice it says that it's coming down out of heaven from God. Remember last week we talked about that heaven is a, a real literal place where God dwells. So what's going to happen is at some point, then God is going to open the skies and, and from where he is, he is going to bring down from his presence to our presence, this new heaven, this new earth and a new capital city called the new Jerusalem. And it says it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse three says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. This word tabernacle is not really a word that you use anymore, right? But what this means is, is God is saying, listen, I'm moving into your neighborhood. I'm moving onto your street. I'm coming to your cul-de-sac and I'm going to start hanging out with you. You have known this whole me and you relationship as, as distance and separation and, and faith. But, but someday, one day, God's going to say, listen, I'm going to come out of heaven and I'm going to bring heaven down to you and I'm going to come hang out where you are. And it will be a moment, an experience where no longer will you need faith for things. You will just have sight. And it goes on to say that, and he will dwell, that's God, will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things, and there's that word again, kinos, new and improved in a better condition. He closes this, this introductory section of, of what the new heaven and the new earth is as it continues in Revelation 21. He's saying, listen, all things that you have known, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it new and improved. It's not going to be foreign and it's not going to be unfamiliar. I'm going to take what you know because I created it and there was a time where I looked at it and saw that it was good. But it's now not good because of sin. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it better. I'm going to return it and renew it and restore it to the good status that it once had. Last week, I, I shared with you a portion of a quote from a, 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 a theologian named um, Rene Pache, I think is how you pronounce it. I still don't know. But what I want to do today is I want to read you the, the, his quote in its entirety because I think it brings, uh, uh, helps us bring some clarity to understand and wrap our minds around what's going on with the difference between what we know as the current heaven that we're living in and the current, uh, the current earth that we're living in and the current heaven that those who belong to Jesus will go to when they die and the new earth and the new heaven that is to come. And I think his words are interesting and insightful. And it's, he says this, the emphasis on the present heaven is clearly rest, cessation from earth's battles and comforts from earth's sufferings. The future heaven is centered more on activity and expansion, serving Christ and reigning with him. The scope is much larger. The great city with its 12 gates, people coming and going, nations to rule. In other words, the emphasis in the present heaven is the absence of earth's negatives. While the future heaven, it is the presence of earth's positives, magnified many times through the power and glory of resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth, free at last from sin and shame and all that would hinder us, both, our, our, both us and our achievement. And so what he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to put in, in limited language an explanation of the breadcrumbs that God leaves us to understand what this new heaven and new earth is going to look like. 
And so, so uh, people go, okay, well, that's great. Well, well, but, but what will it actually be like? What, what, will, what will life there be like? And so what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time today, and I want to break this down into four categories. I want to I first talk about what will the environment in the new earth, in the new heaven, be like? Um, when I was a kid, uh, we, had, we didn't go on vacations a lot. Um, it was something that we did maybe once every two or three years. Um, and so when we did go on vacation, it was a big deal. And it didn't seem like it mattered where we went. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Disney World when I was a kid. I had an opportunity to you know, go to the beach when I was a kid. We, we went to the lake sometimes when I was a kid. We went to the city sometimes. And it did, it, like I enjoyed going to those places and, enjoying, and, and experiencing those things. But it, but it never seemed to fail that my favorite part of every vacation was the hotel room. You know what I'm saying? And why is that? How many of you, when you think back to some of your, your favorite vacations when you were a kid, there is, there is something about the unbridled joy that happens for a kid when a door gets opened to a whole new world of new beds that don't have to be made and rooms that don't have to be cleaned. And these beds that don't have to be made are like, like imaginary trampolines that can just bounce you straight up into, into the sky, right into heaven, right up to the moon, right? Unless, you, unless you're on the second floor or above, in which case your mom and dad were like, stop that, get off the bed, be quiet. Don't do your feet like that, right? A couple weeks ago, I went with my son and my dad. Uh, three generations of Swint men went to uh, go see the Arkansas Razorbacks get absolutely demolished by the Auburn Tigers in football. But we still had fun. Um, God redeemed that moment. And, uh, and so, but it happened. It happened with my son. I opened the door. He flings the door open, throws his jacket off, puts his little suitcase over to the side, immediately runs and jumps onto the bed. Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Woohoo! And we were on the first floor, so everybody knows you're on the first floor, you can do whatever you want, son. Run, jump, play, run in the walls. I don't care. It's all good. It's all good. Right? And at one point, he's like, Daddy, you think I can jump from this bed to that bed? I said, I bet you sure can do it. He goes, okay. You know, boing, boing, boing. Here I go. Woo! And made it. You know? And, and so I don't know what it is about, about being a kid and, and, and staying in a hotel room in a weird bed. Right, but I just know, like, when I when you become an adult, there's just things you think about about weird beds that other people been sleeping in that you don't know what happened in that bed, <laughs> and you don't know how well it was cleaned, you know. So you just very carefully remove the top blanket thing and put that over somewhere in the corner, and immediately go wash your hands, and you're pretty sure the sheets have been washed, but you're not 100 percent sure because you didn't wash them. Like as a kid, you don't think about that stuff. Every time we come home from a vacation, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I'm back in this old room again, an old bed, and they have so much fun. I was in the hotel room with a hotel bed and all that stuff, but never failed. My mom would always say this. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was stupid. I would sometimes tell her, that's dumb. That's stupid. Parents, there's hope for you because I grew out of that, all right? So if your kid is in that phase, there is hope. But here's what my mom would say. My mom would say, oh, I had such a good time on vacation. But there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. And it's true. As a kid, I didn't care about it. But as an adult, as a grown-up, I do. 
I love, I've had the opportunity to go to, on some cool vacations, go see some cool things, but there's something about opening the door to a clean house, which is a thing for me and Jess. Like we bust our tails to clean the house before we go on vacation because there's something about walking in the door to a clean house for us. It's like, whew, all right, here we are. This is home. And the familiarity of knowing the sounds that your house makes and, and knowing that I'm pretty sure the sheets are clean because we washed them before we left and I don't think anybody slept in them since we've been gone, right? There's no evidence that anything like that has happened. And you get in your own bed with your own sheets and it just feels cozy and comfortable and familiar. I believe that when we get to the new earth, I don't believe that it's going to feel foreign. I don't think that we're going to get there and be like, what? What's going on here? I, somebody help me understand what is happening right now. I don't think that that's going to happen. I believe that when we get to the new earth, that it's going to feel familiar. I believe it's going to feel like home. I believe that we're going to get there because it's going to be a new and improved version of something that we are already aware of and familiar with. I don't think that we're going to get there and be confused. I don't think that we're going to get there and not really understand like what this place is and what it looks like. I believe that we're going to get there and I believe that we're going to be surprised at how familiar it looks to the one that we left. In his book, Heaven, uh, author Randy Alcorn, which can I just tell you, phenomenal resource. I put that in your, in your handout. Um, I've used that as a, as, a, as a secondary resource for me as I've been preparing this phenomenal book. If this is intriguing to you, go get the book, go read it more. It goes into way more detail. It's a big old thick book and it's awesome. But I love this quote. He says this, we love newness. Yet in each case, what is new is attached to something familiar. We don't really like things that are utterly foreign to us. Instead, we appreciate fresh and innovative variations on things that we already know and love. So when we hear that in heaven, we will have new bodies and live on a new earth, that's how we should understand the word new. You see, he's trying to help us see that, that, that the idea is not um, you being in a foreign land where you can't speak to anybody and you can't read any of the signs and, and you don't know what it is that they just put on the plate that they put in front of you, but it doesn't look like the food that you're familiar with. It's not going to be like that. that. That's frustrating because you're thinking back to high school and I remember how to say, where's the bathroom and how to order water, but that's the end of my ability to relate and connect with people in this land. It's not going to be like that. And it's going to feel very familiar and very comfortable. I want you to notice something else that uh, another breadcrumb that, that, that God gives us, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And he says this, he says, and I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. And there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Can I get an Amen. None of those things are going to be a part of the story. And here's what you and I have to understand. You and I have to understand that, that these things were never a part of the original story that God intended for us. The idea of sorrow and pain and death and disease and hurt and heartache, none of those things were part of God's original plan. Those things did not become a part of the story of the human existence until sin entered the world. 
And so oftentimes the hardships happen, things happen, loved ones die and, and, and illness happens and, and, and freak accidents happen. And the, 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 the tendency is to, to be upset and be mad at God. And I understand that from a humanistic standpoint, but from a biblical standpoint, we have no cause to be mad at God because God never desired that for us. We chose it. And what God wants to help us see is that when we get into the new earth and the new heaven, God's going to return us back to the way that he originally intended, where, where death and disease and pain and sorrow and heartache and hurt and crying and tears, gone from the human story. Because it was never supposed to be a part of the human story. And the amazing thing about God's incredible love is that even though we chose that by choosing sin and even though it became a part of the human story, God in his infinite love said, I see that I would be justified in making you sit in that, but I love you too much to let you sit in that. So I'm going to send my son so that you can know that there's hope beyond today. And because there's hope beyond today, there's hope for today. And that's the message we have in Christ. Another little breadcrumb that God gives us, Revelation 21 verse 25 says, there shall be no night there. I find that interesting. Remember, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so there's going to be some familiarity to the idea of a sun and stars and planets and cosmos and universe. So the, the, the idea that there's not going to be any night on the new earth is not because there is no sun. There's going to be no night on the new earth because God's glory is he is going to live on earth with us. And the Bible paints a picture over and over again that, that his, his being um, is hard to describe, but from him comes a radiating light of glory. And so there's not going to be any night there because God's presence is going to be on the earth and it's going to illuminate everything. I want you to think about that today when you get home and it's dark at 3.30 this afternoon. <laughs> Someday there will be no more night. So what's the environment going to be like? I believe that the environment's going to be familiar. There's going to be all kinds of new things. But new things does not mean they're going to be foreign. I believe that we're going to get there and be shocked and blown away. That the things that we see and know experience in this life on this earth are going to carry over but be perfected in the new life on the new earth. You say, that's great, but... Um, one of the questions that we had came in was like, hey, tell me about this idea of a glorified or resurrected body. When does that happen? All right, well, let me provide some context, okay? So let's talk about our bodies for a second. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Let me pause just for a second. God is letting us know that as humans, our, our long-term forever home was never supposed to be here on this planet, on this earth, that God's long-term plan has always been that, that there would be a new earth that he desires us to be a part of. And so when we go through life on this earth and, and there are things that are amazing and awesome, God says, listen, that's not the height of it. I have something even better in store for you. And when we go through things that are not awesome and, and aren't amazing, God says, I have something that's gonna be altogether different and better than that. A place where you never have to experience that type of disappointment again. And that's not found where we live today on this earth. It's, it's in, the, in the new heaven and the new earth that God has prepared for us and desires for us to go to. 
It continues, from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is, even, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So this idea that, that scholars and theologians refer to as a glorified body comes from this verse. Um, other people refer to it as a resurrected body. Okay, what, what, what's going on here? Well, well the, the, the body that you live in, um, you may be really proud of it. You may look at yourself in the mirror and go, not too bad. Um, you, 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 may, you may look in the mirror and go, usually what happens about January 3rd, everybody looks in the mirror and goes, hmm, well, guess I know what my resolution is, right? The Bible says that, that when we get to the new heaven, in the new earth, we receive these glorified bodies, meaning, meaning there's continuity. We talked about this last week, that the body that we know, it's going to be familiar. It's a similar type of uh, form in the new heaven and the new earth. But it's going to be better. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be absent of, of aches and hurts and pains. Amen. It's going to be absent from the need of medications and shots, and chemotherapy, and insulin. It's going to be absent from the need of, um, uh, 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 of antidepressants and, and medication to balance our, our, uh, our, our chemical makeup. There, it's going to be, there's going to be no need for, for medications to redirect bipolar disorder or, or to, to focus someone with ADHD. There's going to be no need for, uh, for uppers or downers. There's going to be no need for pain medication. There's going to be no need for any of that. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to receive the bodies, and Jesus' resurrected body is the example that, 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 that he was a physical form and, and, and he, had, uh, he had scars from the crucifixion, but, but he didn't have the, the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the consequences and, and the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, uh, symptoms, thank you, good night. That word was like out in nowhere land. The symptoms of the resurrection. I want you to imagine this. Imagine you at your peak physical condition. Some of us, we got to go back a little, while, a little ways. Some of us are going, well, I'm still working on that. I ain't, I ain't there yet. Right? Imagine you at your peak physical condition. I'm talking about, fellas, I'm talking about that, that moment where your bride looked at you and goes, mm, my man looks good. Fellas, I'm talking about that moment you're like, girl, yes, you do. Does that dress make you look fat? No, it does not, baby. You couldn't wear a dress to make you look fat. It's not possible. Girl, you're looking good. And not just from a physical appearance standpoint, but from a function standpoint. We are going to have bodies that are going to be perfected. So, so you at your peak physical condition, I want you to imagine spending the rest of eternity in a better version than that. That's the bodies that we'll have. No need for prescription glasses. Amen. No need for contacts. 
No need for ankle braces, no need for wheelchairs, no need for walkers, no need for canes, no, no worrying about getting up from a chair with knees and hips and stuff popping and cracking. No worry about walking because you ain't going to have a limp. You can run without pain, sister, go. The paralytic will have no need for their wheelchair. And the people of all disabilities and ailments, diagnoses and diseases, We'll just be done with it. And for those of us who walk day to day with a diagnosis, with a disease, with, a, with an infirmity and, a, and an ailment, listen, brother, listen, sister, God's hope for you is that that's going to be part of the former things because the day's coming where it won't be a part of your present reality. So that's what our bodies are going to be like. They're going to be absolutely perfect. But what about life? What about life in the new heaven? What are we going to be doing? I heard people talk about an eternal church service. Dear Lord, praise you. Some of you are going, oh, Lord, please no. <laughs> Is Jernigan going to be singing? Because if so, I want to go on the other side of the cosmos away from him. I can't handle it. What are we going to be doing? Well, here's what's interesting. Um, the Bible, again, paints this idea. Because so many things are familiar to us now, a lot of those things are going to carry over. All right, so where are we going to live? Let's, let's break this down. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? And do people play in heaven? Well, let's talk about where we're going to live. Jesus said, and John, make sure I give you the right reference. In John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, hey, listen, um, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you. I heard a kid one time uh, ask his mommy, mommy, what happened to heaven? Mommy said, what do you mean? Well, what happened to heaven? Kid starts getting emotional and crying because he always heard heaven was great and awesome. But he heard the, the, the preacher talking about this verse in John chapter 14. And she goes, baby, why are you getting so upset? The, the pastor said Jesus was going to repair a place for us. Who broke heaven? <laughs> yeah. Letters matter. Letters matter. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now I just want to just invite you to consider just for a minute. Jesus, while on earth, he was the son of a carpenter. Yes? Yes. All right. And, 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 and he learned some things. Not that he necessarily needed to, but he has the skill of a carpenter. Now, if you know a carpenter, any carpenter or handyman or contractor worth their salt, if you give them enough time and if you give them enough resources, well, let's be honest, most of us, the problem is we got all the time in the world, but we don't have enough resources to get the house that we want. But if you give them enough time, enough resources, they can come up with and make some pretty amazing things. All you got to do is watch HGTV. You immediately get house envy. HGTV is most husband's nightmare. Oh, sweetheart, come look what they did to the kitchen. It looks so good. We can do that. No, we ain't. <laughs> oh, yes, we can. We can totally do that. I can't do that. You married the wrong dude. And for all of you fellows who, who you are the dude that can do that, I'm sorry. Because at least I can say I don't know how to do it. You got no excuse. But think for a minute. Jesus... The Bible says that, that, that God spoke creation into existence and it says that Jesus was the word and, and, and basically everything in the universe was created 
by Jesus. And how long did it take him to do it? Six days. Six days. And on the seventh, he rested. So if he can make all of this in six days, I just want to ask you, what can he make with a few thousand years and unlimited resources? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, I don't exactly know what it means. Um, But I believe that we're going to walk into our new house and we're going to see sweet-looking furniture and awesome architecture and great interior design. I believe that we're going to get there and we're going to see technology and a smart house and all that stuff. Listen, you might have a smart house that you don't have to cuss at. You know what I'm talking about? I was in the first service preaching a message and my iPad thought I was talking to it. Siri came up and started talking to me. I was like, I ain't even talking to you. Worthless. Right? But here's the deal. I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and go, you know, I could do better. I wish they would have done that different. This is really a disappointment. I see they were going for shabby chic, but this is really just shabby. Right? Like that's just not going to happen. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. So I don't exactly know where you're going to live. You may may be in your dream home right now. You might get to heaven and go, sweet, this is my dream home, the same one I lived in. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But I know that Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the last time I checked, he's pretty good at making cool stuff. What about our life? What are we going to be doing? Are we going to be working? Now, some of you are going to be encouraged by this, and some of you are going to be mad. Will we work in heaven? Yes. The people who are upset right now are the ones that are going, you know what, I'm kind of in one of those places. I want to walk marching in the boss's office. You can take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. That's because we have a messed up view of what work is. You see, we know work on the other side of sin cursing the ground. You see, work was actually part of the blessing that God gave Adam and Eve because through work we we find value, through work we find identity, through work we find fulfillment and satisfaction, through work we find purpose. And so we spend a lot of time here as a church trying to help you understand this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we try to help you understand this because God wired you on purpose for a purpose. We talk about that a lot in the Next Steps course, which, by the way, man, I cannot encourage you enough. God has a plan for your life. Get connected to the Next Steps course. Next week is going to be about discover belonging. If you've ever wondered, man, why do I feel so alone? I can be in a room full of people but feel alone. Man, God wants to, have, he wants to give you an answer to that question. But ultimately, he wants you to see why you're here. And so when we get to heaven, we're not going to have a job that's going to feel like, oh, great, it's Monday. We're going to have a job where we're going to wake up like, I can't wait to get in the office. I can't wait to get to my place. I can't wait to go do what I do because don't nobody do it like I can. I'm awesome at it and I love it. I believe there's going to be construction workers. I believe there's going to be accountants. I believe there's going to be uh, uh, teachers. I believe that there's going to be um, um, uh, people uh, creating things and innovating things. I believe there's going to be technology sector and, and, and architectures. And I believe all of that is going to be in heaven. The things that are going to be missing in heaven that some of you uh, are going to be, you know, looking for a J-O-B is um, because death and sorrow and pain and sickness and disease are no more, because there are no more tears. Like if you're a therapist, sorry about you. If you're a medical professional, sorry about you. Uh, If you work as a funeral home director, my bad. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to be in the picket line looking for work. (laughs) 
all right? We, learn, we already learned that it said that God's dwelling place, he's going to move into our cul-de-sac and hang out, so I'm going to be right there with you. Why are people going to need a pastor when they can just go talk to God directly? So, you know, we'll be in the unemployed line maybe. I don't know. I want you to notice another little breadcrumb God gives us, particularly about this idea of work. Revelation 21, 24 says this, And the nation of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. They're talking about the kings of the earth bringing things to the new Jerusalem, the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. I want you to notice it says that there are nations and there are kings. What does this mean? It means that in any nation there is industry. And so there's going to be all types of industry that's going to be happening, that people are going to be doing work, and all of it is going to be for the goodness and glory of God. Not only is there going to be industry, but if there's a nation and there are kings, it means there's a government. And praise the Lord, we will finally be a part of a government where there's no corruption, there's no backroom deals, there's no partisanship. And I'm not sure, but I think maybe, just maybe, there's no Twitter. Maybe. I don't know. Nobody's going to walk around heaven with a make heaven great again sign. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to walk around heaven with a sign that says hope, change. Because you're already going to have it. And there's going to be places where we are going to, as followers of Christ, some of us are going to rule and reign with him. We are going to be given positions in the government that is God's government. And it's not just going to be just on planet Earth. It's going to be all across the cosmos. And there's going to be a place for us to do work that we love, that we're great at. I believe for the artists and the musician, I believe there's going to be endless possibilities for you to, to write music and to create. You won't be limited by the, the, the limitations that this body and this sin-cursed world offers you, but you're going to have an opportunity in a perfect place in all perfection with all of inspiration at your disposal to never get into a writer's block or a, or a creative block ever again, and you will be able to write and create beautiful things. We know that they're singing in heaven. Somebody's got to write the songs. Somebody's going to sing them. Who knows? Maybe I'll be a singer in heaven. Maybe God will glorify that whole thing. Maybe I'll give Jessica some singing lessons. I don't know. For the authors, the storytellers, and the comedians, imagine the stories that you'll be able to tell. Having had the perspective of seeing all of it come to an end and all that God had always planned on coming into existence. For the hikers, the adventurers, the outdoorsy folk, you're going to have an entire eternity, not just to explore, um, uh, you know, America, and not just to go explore islands and beaches, but the opportunity to explore planets and solar systems. You'll never be bored. And for people like me, the, the people who are more wired towards sports and athletics, man, I just think about being able to play football without concussions, basketball without ACL injuries, baseball without Tommy John surgery. I imagine sports that, that I can't even fathom right now because in a, in a, in a broken body, my body couldn't handle that type of, 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 of strain and stress and fatigue. Some of you are just saying, hold up one second. Did you just say there's going to be football in heaven? <laughs> I have no reason to believe that there won't be. Sports and fun, that's not a sinful thing. It's only sinful when we do sinful things. I don't know where we started getting the moniker that, that, that the church is the place that you go to hear about how boring heaven's going to be. 
Man, I believe, I believe heaven's going to be amazing. Amen. So you're going to have a house that's going to be great, a job that you're going to love. And I absolutely believe that there's going to be entertainment. There's going to be music and arts and creativity and sports and athletics and competition. But all of it is going to be, be the, the, the most perfect possible way of it without risk of, of injury, without risk of, 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 of sinful and anger and vengeance and all of that becoming a part of it. You never have to worry about cheap shots. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be far from boring. Now the mother of all questions that everybody really wants to know about. What about relationships, preacher man? Tell me about that. That's what I came for. I want to know. Tell me about relationships. I believe that one of the most exciting things to imagine about the new heaven and the new earth is the relationships that we'll have without the struggle that sin causes on them. Imagine family dinners that aren't awkward because we're just brushing that thing under the rug that that person did or said or, or that nobody wants to talk about or we only talk about when they're not in the room. And then when they get in the room, everybody's like, so how about those chiefs? Imagine family gatherings where people aren't hurt, mad. Imagine family gatherings where you don't carry the burden of, of knowing that you said or did a thing that hurt that family member. I believe that we're going to have relationships with our, with our parents and grandparents, with our kids, assuming they know Jesus. You'll see them there. All right, preacher man, you're dancing around it. I got to know, will I, will I be married in heaven? That's what I want to know. Yes, you will be. But not the way that you think. You see, the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God uses the institution of marriage to paint a picture of the relationship that God desires to have with us. And over and over and over again, whether it's relational, emotional, physical intimacy and connection that, that happened through a marriage relationship that God continually points to as an example of, of the relationship that God wants to have with us. And so when we get to heaven, the institution of marriage is going to be no more. Why? Because, because the Bible says that, that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church, that's everyone who belongs to Jesus as, as a child of God, that the church is the bride. And that you won't be married to your spouse because you will be married to Jesus. Now I have some really great news for you ladies. Finally, you will get the perfect husband you have always wanted. Gentlemen, I have some awkward news for you. You too will finally get the perfect husband that you always wanted. <laughs> Listen, I don't know exactly what all of that means. But what I know that it means is this. Is that we will finally have a closeness and a relationship with Jesus that we can only hope for now. We will have in reality then. That there will be no one that you love more than Jesus. We say that now, and, and there are days and maybe even moments and days where you say it and you actually believe it and it's actually true. But the reality of it is, is that most of the time, even if we say, I don't, I, love, I don't love anyone more than Jesus, the reality is I love me a whole lot and I love a whole lot of other things a whole lot too. But when we get to heaven, we will be in a in a relationship with Jesus that the Bible paints over and over and over again as a marriage relationship. 
Now, here's what's unfortunate. A lot of times people will read this verse in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, and they will read into it something that I don't believe God intends for us to read into. This is what it says. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given to marriage. Now, some people will read that and they will say, hey, um, that means that, that, that me and my spouse, we're just not going to know each other. There's not going to be any connection because we're not married and we're not given to marriage. No, no, no. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that the institution of marriage is going to be no more because the church, all of us, will be married to Jesus, the perfect bridegroom. But as we've seen all throughout the, this week and last week, this continuity that happens between what we know in the current earth and what we're going to experience in the future heaven and future earth, that there is, there's continuity and familiarity. And if we will know our grandparents and if we will know our family and if we will know our kids, then it seems illogical to conclude that me and my bride are going to be strangers, Consider what, what God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when he created Adam, put him in, on, uh, on the earth and in the, in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, and gave him a job. And he looked down and says, listen, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. You see, that happened before sin became part of the story. And so I absolutely believe that in the same way that God looked down at Adam and said, hey, my man needs a companion he needs someone to help him because I've given him a job and he needs somebody to help him accomplish that. They will complete each other. Thank you, Jerry Maguire. I believe absolutely in the same kind of way. We won't be married to our spouse in the way that we think about marriage, but I absolutely believe that there will be a closeness and a connection that we will have with our spouse when we get to heaven. Now, some of you are going, whoo, praise God, that is so encouraging. Others of you are like, that's a, I'm a little, you know, I was hoping for an upgrade. <laughs> if you've been thinking that, perhaps we should talk. But God's desire for us is to understand that this new place that he's preparing for us is it's beyond our wildest imaginations. He gives us breadcrumbs and, and leaves a littered trail for us to be able to get a part of the picture. But Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think or imagine. Meaning it's not possible for us to, to formulate the right words to paint the right picture about what the new heaven and the new earth is gonna be. But what we absolutely know is that it's gonna be amazing. It's going to be all of the best parts of this world, magnified many times over. And it's going to be without all of the things that make this world painful, hurtful, difficult, frustrating. It's going to be a perfect place that God has perfectly designed for every single person on the planet to be there. You know, when Jessica and I were preparing for our wedding, we did this thing, and most of you did the same thing. Um, we, we created uh, invitations. And every invitation that we did was, a, was handwritten, handwritten address. If you received an invitation, it meant that you were invited. And all you got to do is just send us back by a certain date to let us know that you're going to be there, that you're going to be part of it. And if you received an invitation to our wedding, it means that you could show up and it's not going to be awkward. But if you show up to the wedding without an invitation, without being on the list, it's going to get awkward real quick. 
And for us, we, we mailed it. Some, some of y'all maybe email it. Some of y'all did an Evite thing. I don't know what you did. But listen, there's a mechanism by which we invited people to come to the big celebration of our day that we had spent weeks and months preparing and paying and planning for. And here's what I want you to see, church, that if you belong to God, if you by faith have been made alive in Christ, then God wants us to understand that he has issued an invitation to the world. In one of the letters that Peter writes, he says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all could come to everlasting life that everybody could come to this awesome place that I prepared where I could finally be with my people and my people could be with me and they can experience the fullness of everything I created in them to be perfect and complete. But it's invitation only. And here's what God said. Church, you have been entrusted with the invite. Church, it's your job to go tell people. The invitation is on the table. I've entrusted it to you, and it's your job to carry it to the world so that people who are close to you but far from God can know that there is hope beyond the pain of today. To know that even if things are going great and even if things are awesome and if even if everything is all put together, that, that, that this is not all there is. And then that the good things that you encounter and experience today in this life, in this world, is but a fraction in comparison to the great things that God has in store for us. But if your name is not on the list, you don't get access. The door is closed. So church, it's our responsibility to go tell the people who were close to us but far from God how they can know about the incredible love of God, the incredible things that God has in store for them so they can experience what it means to have hope that is never taken away. Joy that cannot be diminished and peace that can never be minimized or marginalized by any situation or any circumstance. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this whole thing may seem strange and weird and, and I get it. Old earth, new earth, new heaven, old heaven, cosmos, universe, space travel, jobs. Like, I get it. It sounds weird. But here's what's not weird. God created you, and he loves you. And it does not matter how great things are. It does not matter how awful things are. God sees you, and he knows you. And he knows that despite what you put up for the world that there's a there emptiness inside of you questions that you've asked that you've never been able to get answers to that God knows all about because he created that void so that he could fill it and if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God I don't believe it's an accident I don't believe it's a coincidence I believe the fact that you're here today is proof and evidence that God is, is chasing you. He's pursuing you. He's trying to, to let you know, hey, I love you. You may not think about me, but I think about you. And I want to make you new. 
I want to give you a new life. I want you to know that my place that I'm making has a spot reserved for you. But the only way you get there is if by faith in Christ you've been made new.